Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world. We will. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today, I'm joined by Rodolfo Quijano. He's the head of blockchain consulting at Henkel, and we're going to be discussing the importance of blockchain for consumer goods companies and in particular, sustainability. Rodolfo, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be on the show. Let's start with your background and the work that you've been doing. Obviously, there are a number of companies out there now starting to build internal blockchain teams and going from POC to production within their own organizations. Tell us about what that's like at Henkel and the role that you play. Sure thing. Uh, you know, I've actually worked for Henkel now for 14 years in different IT positions. I had the luck actually since 2014 to work and lead technology innovation teams. I found it as a good timing because it was also the time where the technologies driving, you know, the buzzword of digitalization came up. And it was not only those, but emerging technologies like blockchain were getting the forefront of attention. I think in those times, it was also exciting to work closely with Startups Accelerator at the time. I think if you go back and think of how 2014 was like, you started to hear topics like digital, like big data. It was all about the big corporations working with the small startups. So it was a very exciting times to be looking into the topic of technology. It was also working at a very broad perspective. So I could be on one day talking about virtual reality and another day about, I don't know, data science and, and what to do with the data that we were trying to collect. And at that same time, we were looking at working together with startups. As I said, it was also kind of the thing back then in 2014, where big corporations partnered up with smaller startups to gain some innovation and some agility. So it was really, really exciting times to build the topic of technology innovation there with Henkel. However, I think as with much of the technologies that we were looking at, some of them matured quicker than others. So a lot of the topics around, let's say, IoT, around big data analytics and machine learning group and had their own teams. For me, it had to do with uh, taking the blockchain to the next level. And then I had a chance to focus on that since January 2018. I have a small but passionate team. And they were basically tasked for driving the understanding and the evaluation of the technology firsthand. And then, as you were also mentioning, to try to set that learnings and findings into actual tangible pilot implementations for enterprise use cases. As an FMCG company or as a corporation, you don't really have a look at what's out there in the market that doesn't necessarily provide value to you. So that was also part of our mission to not exactly look at all the use cases out there in the, in the market, but to try to focus on those that were meaningful to us. And from what I can observe, Henkel's done a really interesting job of keeping focused value-creating use cases but also those that are quite diverse compared to some of the other organizations or some of the other CPG companies out there who focus mainly on particular logistics use case or sustainability use case. You've actually looked across the piece. What's been your experience of blockchain and enterprise over those years and how has the focus or the intensity changed? I think you, you make a good point there, Anthony, and it has to do with the story that we follow with blockchain at Henkel. Because basically, I would say that our experience has been a lot like riding uh, Gardner's hype cycle wave. So we started with extremely high senior management attention during the enormous hype caused by Bitcoin towards the end of 2017. 
including the fact that our CFO, who is now the CIO of Henkel, explicitly asked us to demystify blockchain and to get work on finding ways to leverage it at Henkel. As you can tell from that sentence, it's really a, a broad mandate. So it was not that we just look, as you mentioned, directly into logistics or directly maybe into trade finance that you might hear in the market. We had the, let's say, the the demand to look all across our enterprise to the many processes that we follow, to the many markets where we work on, to see where it would make most sense. And in that sense, uh, our first year, so 2018, was actually a great year. We did go talk to all of our line of businesses. So Henkel has beauty care, personal care, but we also have a laundry and home care perspective. We have a more B2B market with industrial adhesives. So we ended up talking to all of them and going back also to what you would call maybe the um, finance and purchasing processes. And we were easily able to find more than 15 use cases for blockchain in the enterprise. I think I was talking to my team just a couple of days ago, and there was a moment uh, that we lost track. I mean, probably would have required us to keep a little bit more discipline in the opportunity pipeline that we were handling. But in, in the end, we did count more than 15. And... The only topic there where I could uh, kind of reflect uh, from an enterprise perspective is that taking all that time to evaluating use cases and finding out if that makes sense for you also comes with the topic of a little bit of pressure. Okay, I mean, you can't just do analysis and conceptual work all the time. You need to get some, um, some projects going. And I go back to my analogy about the wave because just like you start going into this through of a disillusionment, so writing the wave down, that also happened to us. So during this first year, we had a look at two use cases, one in finance and one in supply chain that, that ended up not getting anywhere. And that also kind of brought, you know, a little bit of, of dampening of enthusiasm within the organization. There, I think what was important was to keep the drive going and the motivation, because basically by the time we got to Q4 2018, we started to participate on our first pilot. This one we did in the area of logistics with GS1 Germany and over 35 companies. So in this case, yes, like you said, we started off with something that we would now call maybe bread and butter in the blockchain world. So uh, logistics and tracking of assets, but it was only the beginning. Then in 2019, this is where we really started to go broad, as you mentioned, and have a look at different areas. We started to slowly push blockchain back up the wave into an area where we thought we started to deliver actual innovation and value for Henkel. We are characterized for doing things if they make sense and not just for the sake of, let's say, digitalization. And in that sense, we were able to pick up topic, for example, in taxes or in foreign trade, helping to digitalize some of the processes that are needed for cross-border exchange and are specifically related to tax and customs compliance. We also did a case with our adhesives, a line of business where we're trying to protect the products that they were producing from counterfeit in emerging markets. And then we did a lot of our work towards, the, let's say, the middle and end of the 2019 with projects where we could meet our commitments for sustainability strategy. Some of them were in corporations, such as the one we have with the Plastic Bank or with some of our big suppliers like BASF and ResiChain. But some of the other ones were also driven by ideas coming out of the Henkel organization. And as I said at the beginning, there's a significant diversity in those use cases there. And I really want to double click on some of them, particularly sustainability, as I know that's a topic that's important to both of us. Just before we start, 
What makes a good use case for Henkel? You've obviously moved from POCs into pilots and some of these are really starting to gain momentum. What is it that you think makes a successful use case and what is it that gets your stakeholders engaged and excited? That's a good question, Anthony. I think it does always generally start off with excitement. Although the hype around blockchain has died down a little bit, you still hear a lot of people excited to learn about this technology that they've heard of and they want to make sure that it applies to their work which is what I would say is a critical success factor number one. So really focusing in on the areas within the enterprise where it makes sense to use blockchain and being able to see if it translates to the problems that they might be facing. I mean, I'm a big fan of this whole topic of, let's say, jobs to be done, because we try to focus, yes, maybe the start of the conversation into helping them understand what blockchain is, but we try very quickly to bring them in to understand what are their business targets or their business issues. That allows us to at least start to talk about blockchain in a frame where it, they could see it as a potential solution for them. And as you said, that drives really the motivation to keep talking and evaluating the use case. I think the second topic has to do with short and long-term impact. Once you start to discuss the potential use case and that looks like something that's quite promising, you generally start to settle on a vision. So how might that look like on the long-term perspective if you're thinking about having many companies in an ecosystem or maybe going very deep into the value chain that you're working with? However, we are very disciplined in the way we build business cases at Henkel. So we also have to think on a short-term perspective, what might be already some return for your investment? So generally that way we structure the pilots in on one way, yes, to prove that the technology makes sense, but on the second half that it can already provide value, let's say at a minimum ecosystem level. So even if you have two or three players from your value chain, can you at least prove that some of the hypothesis you had for your long-term vision makes sense already? I hear you. And we've said that time and time again on this show, while the technology or the ecosystem may be feasible in terms of scaling or being able to be implemented, if it doesn't meet certain commercial criteria or if you can't get return on that investment, it becomes really difficult to take that forward. And it sounds like there's a very rigorous approach that you guys follow. Let's talk about sustainability for a moment, because a couple of the projects you mentioned there, Plastic Bank and ResiChain, are right smack bang in the corporate responsibility sustainable policy, circular economy type of space. What is Henkel's vision around sustainability and where does blockchain play a role in that? So one of the things I'm proud of in working at Henkel is our commitment to sustainability. And we have an ambitious strategy there for 2030. Basically, if I try to summarize it in a nutshell, is that we consider ourselves leaders in sustainability. So we would like to continue to maintain that leadership. I mean, we take care of our employees. So there's also, a, let's say, an internal aspect to it, but also to take care of our customers and consumers. The environment itself and the quality of life while working together with partners and stakeholders, let's say, across the value chain. So uh, you can already tell that we have a multi-stakeholder view on the topic and the central topic of caring. What I think makes the most sense there in the role of blockchain is to look at the six focal areas that we have for sustainability and that we're striving to work on to meet this 2030 goal. Because I have a deep, let's say, belief that at least for three of them, blockchain would really empower us to reach that and maybe even enhance some of the expectations we had when we set those strategies. You can, of course, look at Henkel.com's website. I invite you and your listeners to do so. <laughs> but basically, there are three areas around, for example, social progress, energy and climate and material waste, 
where I think the topic of blockchain characteristics of providing transparency, building trust, and making data tamper-proof can really provide this tremendous value. We would use that to basically help us improve and steer our activities. We go back to the topic of of the supply chain. And uh, what we've also been discussing a lot during the last year is how can we make all our efforts transparent to our consumers? So how do we stay true to how we sustainably make and package our products? We really think that's a differentiator for the things we do, especially on on the FMCG or the CPG brands that we have. And we can't think of a better technology than our immutable ledger of blockchain to put that out there. Fully agree. And a big part of the move that we see in consumer goods is transparency and traceability, because then you can have your consumers or your users engaging with your products, looking into the sourcing of where something has come from, how the packaging has been used, how it can be reused, and also further up the supply chain. How is responsible behavior cascading down into the first, second, third tier suppliers? Could you tell us a little bit more about maybe ResiChain or Plastic Bank and what's been some of the feedback so far internally and with your customers? Sure thing. Maybe I'll stick with the Plastic Bank as a good example there, because basically it was born out of a collaboration that we wanted to do for sustainability anyway, and they just came with a blockchain component. I mean, it's kind of a little bit contradictory to this whole topic of driving change with blockchain that that my team has in mind for their mission. But at the end of the day, if you've kind of faced yourself with an opportunity to use this technology, even if it's brought by somebody else, the important thing is to get the value out of it. And in this sense, I don't know if you know, but the plastic bank tracks a lot of the work they do on the ground with the communities where they're collecting the plastic on their blockchain. And as a member of this, let's say, alliance, we're given a certain transparency into the work that's done with the collection center that Henkel has. For example, we have some at in Haiti. That allows us to track if we're benefiting the people there. So not necessarily going back to the plastic topic, but about the social impact. And we're also able to understand how much plastic we're covering. So in that sense, we can also provide that information out to consumers so that they don't think maybe we just paid for good publicity, but that there's actually tangible processes going on in the real world of the collection of the plastic, of the recycling of the plastic, and then feeding this recycled ocean plastic or social plastic, as the plastic bank calls it, back into the value chain. Very good. And I'm familiar with the plastic bank work. And from a circular economy perspective, from not not just being able to source materials and reuse them, but actually from engaging a wider community, I think it's really impressive. And it's great to see Henkel be involved with that. Do you see that that's going to scale further out in terms of more countries, more products, or more areas of the Henkel business? I think I would also have a look at it through the lens of the other sustainability projects that we have going on in the blockchain area, because a lot of the discussions that we've had before starting these, uh, let's say, these evaluations or the actual proof of concepts or pilots had to do with, let's say, with the vision going forward. On one side, the sustainability targets from Henkel have a lot to do with this reduction of footprint and making sure that we're taking care of the environment. But once you read into the targets as well, you would also understand that we're doing this in a certain way to make sure that we can also empower sustainable growth of the company. So we go back to this perspective of the business case where we do see there's quite a lot of impact we can have on the sustainability targets. And that's a lot of the topics we're measuring in the pilots. But we're also having a look at how that is in a certain way turning into something quantifiable in a traditional business case. 
I know that might not be too endearing to some of the hardcore, let's say, environmentalists. But at the end of the day, we have found areas where we say, hey, this is something that can definitely lead to better products. It can lead to better sales. It can lead for us to have a better supply chain. As we were mentioning, when you start to look at upstream of where things are coming from, uh, you're also responsible for this. And this is something that Henkel works on very committedly. So when you combine those two aspects, you kind of have to center on those that are bringing those two values. So if we are looking at areas where we're looking at how our supply chain is structured upstream, if we're able to streamline it, make it more efficient, plus at the same time, make sure that we're doing responsible sourcing, then that's a winning combination. And I think those are the kind of projects that we will continue to be looking into in the sustainability area. And I know some of this is still top secret, so we can't talk about too much of it in detail. And a good colleague of mine, a guy called Jeremy Waite, who I suggest anyone who's out there follows, he shared with me the moniker People, Planet, Profit. We absolutely should be focused on helping people in our communities. We should be planet-focused and sustainability-focused, but we should also be able to do that in a sustainable way commercially. And I completely agree from your side. The business case needs to be there so we can continue to invest and accelerate that investment such that it benefits all parties involved. So I'm with you. Maybe if we look to some of the other projects you've been involved in, what are some of the initiatives that you've launched recently or in the last couple of years? And what were some of the major learnings from working and deploying blockchain within a CPG company? Yeah, sure. I think the one I would highlight out is one that we've just recently branded as tax chain. So this is the area where we have a vision of having a one open platform, especially in the European Union, to help with the digitalization of tax and customs. And that one, we started working with our good partners at Siemens. One of the reasons I highlighted out is because it's also, I mean, one of the proof of concepts that we actually have now moved on to the pilot stage. So now that we're looking at it in a certain way, how do we take the functionalities and the approach that we had in this proof of concept to, a, let's say, the next level of scale, right? So we're also very soon going to be looking for early adopters to join in, to give us some feedback on the features, develop things like a, let's say, a sustainable governance model so that we can have that available for anybody who wants to join in the future. So in that perspective, it is not only one of the oldest in regards to ideas popping up in our organization, but it's also one of the ones that's gotten furthest into this whole process. We had a lot of learnings in that perspective, which I, at least for, for our chat today, I try to bring it down into three that I also think are reflected in all of the other use cases that we've had and the pilots that we've run. The first one being that it's okay to start small. So nowadays you hear the topic of minimum viable ecosystem for blockchain projects which wasn't necessarily the case at the beginning of our story, at least at Henkel. And we really found that finding this minimum starting point, if it's two members, if it's three, if it's five, if it's 10, it doesn't matter. What it's important is that you don't define it as the, I don't know, thousands and hundreds of companies that are out there. Otherwise, you don't get these pilots on the road. And as I was mentioning earlier, if you combine that as well with some business benefit that could be small with the potential to grow, that also helps them get them on the road. The second topic is about learning to focus. I appreciate the fact that you like that we had quite a good variety and diversity in use cases, but having a small team makes you kind of understand that not all good blockchain opportunities are right for you. And then there's also many that are not right for, for Henkel, for example. For me, it's really hard because I like this diversity. I like looking left and right and up and down to see what we can use blockchain for. But it is important to have a look at areas such as supply chain, such so for us sustainability or foreign trade where there 
the use cases are more mature and maybe as the organization more receptive. And the last learning, it has to do also with making sure that you align expectations on the outcome of blockchain. I really love that you had one podcast before about the expectations of executives, because at least for us, it was also very resonating as we still struggle with this. But I can tell you in, in the tax chain perspective and in other of the use cases that we've run, it's really important that you don't only ensure that the end users are convinced that it makes sense. It's also not just important that your sponsors put in some money or at least some support to get things going, but it is important for your senior managers to understand uh, that blockchain is really still an emerging technology. So yes, that you're working on squeezing value out of it, that you're working on real business problems, but at the end of the day, that it's a seedling. So you will need to go through this proof of concept phase. You still might need to go through a proof of value phase. You can call them pilots, proof of concepts, MVPs or whatever, but you need to take the projects along on this ride and make sure you're incubating them in a proper way so that you can then scale, let's say, your seedling into a garden or a forest of value. That's very important because, of course, you will close your project after three months, after six months or after 12, and they need to make sure that they understand what was the topic that you were trying to achieve in this point in time. And it's certainly not maybe for many of the use cases that you're now fully scalable with 1,000 partners of your ecosystems and driving millions of euros of profit. I hear you. And there's some really great learnings there. And I love the term forest of value. I've never heard that one before, but I really want to use it again because it's really emotive and really evocative, particularly in the sustainability space, at least. So if you don't mind, I'm going to try and use that one again in future. Sure. A couple of the examples you gave, obviously, they start with partnerships, can be a small ecosystem, but you mentioned working with Siemens, BASF, Plastic Bank. What's your guidance on how to start these partnerships? Do they reach out to you? Are you going out to them? How do you identify partners for a great POC or use case? So I think we do it both ways, Anthony. So we try to look at it from the perspective of who do we want to work with? And then you can think of the typical, well, who are our biggest logistics partners? Who are our partners already in the area of sustainability? Who do we work for uh, X or Y process? And then we try to figure out if they're also interested in doing blockchain pilots with us. We fortunately also receive the opposite communication where maybe a company is working on a blockchain use case that they're looking also to bring from, uh, from a proof of concept into a pilot and they're looking for us to collaborate. I would have to say that most of the time, yes, we generally work with either customers, suppliers or partners that are already within our ecosystem. So within our business ecosystem, but every now and then you find somebody out there with an interesting idea where you don't necessarily work with them. And it's also okay to listen to their ideas. I think if I can go back to the learnings, I would also say that it's definitely much easier if you are talking to somebody about what Walmart is doing, just as an example, right? They will definitely open the doors to you and want to hear about what blockchain is and how these guys are using it. Then if you come out with somebody who's totally new and not known to the business people. And obviously you're on a journey into scaling a lot of the propositions you're already developing. What more do you think is needed to scale the use of blockchain at Henkel or within your wider ecosystem or within the wider industry? You know, I think we touched the topic of technology a little bit earlier, but here I would have to say that I'm still a big believer that any challenges there are to scale and that you might hear out there from the skeptics in the blockchain will be solved at some point. You know, there's a lot of smart people working in the blockchain space, and I'm sure there's also some good IT companies working on platforms who help us with that. So I think there's really just a matter of time when this will, will happen. 
So I attribute this whole topic of the problem of scaling more to the willingness of companies to experiment or, or work on the technology. At the end of the day, blockchain does require this network effect. So the more people and more companies you have in your ecosystem, the better, more value you get out of it. And at this point in time, I think is in getting those partners we were just mentioning to jump on. We have had partners say, no, no, thank you. We don't want to. This is too new. This is too crazy. And the more of them that we can turn from skeptics or, or maybe who have blockchain really down in their priority levels to willing to experiment, I think the better. And in that sense, I think, as you said, at least at this point in time, for those use cases that are bringing a value in, let's say, in the short term, you can already start to pick them up on this. And the more people who join these ecosystems, be it from Henkel or if Henkel joins others, then that's we sometimes how we can already drive more adoption and value and scale into these projects. And scaling means something different to everybody, right? In some cases, people think of it as technology scalability, number of transactions, throughput, capacity. In ecosystems like yours, I agree with you. I think it's about the collaboration between organizations. It's about having suppliers onboarded, first, second, third tier, engaging with some of your partners or even engaging with some of your competitors. And oftentimes the term blockchain doesn't help, right? So I, I know I'm sure you feel the same as using the term, we're doing a blockchain project can polarize opinion very quickly. But if you say we're doing a cross European tax platform, would you like to be involved? Or we're developing a sustainability platform for circular economy. You start from a very different framing and you might get a more positive response from the start. You just haven't mentioned the technology yet. You're completely right. And I think my colleagues in marketing would say it's all about targeting your message. Uh, there will certainly still be people who are immediately open the door to you, talk to you about blockchain. Huh? But as you say, there is most of the times people who want to hear more about the work that they do. So if it's about how do I make a better circular economy, and then later it just so happens that you're doing it with blockchain, I think, as you said, that you would find the majority of people still would be willing to listen to the idea that you have. Thank you for sharing some of the stuff that you've been working on already, the areas in logistics, sustainability, tax. What are some of the areas within the Henkel business or the use of blockchain technology that you're most excited to work about in future? So I'm still actually very excited on the use of blockchain for sustainability. So we talked a lot about circular economy and I did mention the plastic bank a little bit on this whole topic of social impact. And this, at least from, from my perspective, would be the area I would pick on the next because it's not only the plastic bank, right, which has kind of this dual environmental and social impact aspect to it. There's also uh, other initiatives out there in the market. There's, for example, the Good Chain Foundation. There's people from She256 who are looking to use blockchain for social good or larger diversity in the tech industry. It's also a way to bring more uh, social impact from technology. And I find that quite inspiring. If I kind of then go back and think, you know, I am in an enterprise, right? And <laughs> it's not just for the sake of blockchain. There are areas, if I stay true to my CPG background, where I'm also excited and looking forward to see blockchain use more. For example, we haven't discussed at all the topic of supporting marketing or loyalty programs, at least for a CPG company, very important in our current business model or even new ones. I've heard of very interesting ideas where you use things like this, more like the ability of blockchain to tokenize certain aspects of the process, right? For example, building relationship with consumers and helping them with beauty or home care routines. Uh, you hear about ecosystems working on wellness or on convenience, right, at the home. 
So a lot of these topics also come with the question of how do I exchange value? How do I make it transparent to the consumers that they're, you know, they're in control of the rewards? How do I also maybe tie it in with a data sharing topic? So that's an area where there's not a lot of traction, some good ideas, and I would be excited to see many more use cases, especially for brands in CPG. Absolutely. And for someone who spent a little bit of my career working in the marketing space, I can absolutely see the case. We see a number of different blockchain platforms out there already being used in Air Miles, in certain other loyalty spaces. Loyal, for example, with Emirates. You look at what Chris Flyer are doing in Singapore. The basic proposition there is settlement and reconciliation. It's tried to take some of the pain or the administration out of managing a large loyalty network with lots and lots of different parties. Very clear blockchain story. If you then start talking about data or data monetization or privacy or managing a rewards ecosystem, I can absolutely see that going somewhere else. So I think that's probably something for us to pick up on and spend more time debating because there's definitely some exciting work going on out there. Rodolfo, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your insights and your experience. And I know you did say you're looking for early adopters for some of your propositions, particularly tax chain. How can people find out more about the work that you're doing and how can people find you? So people can find me very easily on LinkedIn. They just need to reach out to me, let me know what they're interested in. And I'm very happy also to have an open conversation with them about any topic or any of the initiatives that we're running on at Henkel. I think that would also be my recommendation on how to learn about what we're doing. Look for what we're posting in LinkedIn. It's not just myself, it's my team members, Tahir Kachar, Prashanta Sarkar, and Yue Kian. They'll be posting hopefully more interesting updates on what we're doing throughout the year. And that will let you know more details about these initiatives for you to evaluate if you want to join or not. Thanks, Rodolfo. We'll be sure to recommend people to reach out to you. And I'm hoping there's some great stuff coming out of Henkel in the next few months. Thanks again for joining the show and have a great rest of your week. Thank you, Anthony. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests. If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain-related content. And until next time, stay safe out there.